Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Mark's Gospel. We are reading from the 15th chapter, beginning with the 33rd verse. You can find it on page 54 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. The words will also appear on the screen for those of you joining us from home. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the glimpse that we find in Scripture of your Son's final hours and parting words. We thank you for the ways that you continue to speak to us through those words and events of long ago. And pray that in this moment, led by your Holy Spirit, we might hear the word that you intend for us and be strengthened as we seek to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, while I was still working for the Southern Bell Telephone and Telegraph Company, I got notification that my job was being transferred to Shelby, North Carolina. Upon getting that word, I started looking for an apartment in the new community and soon learned that one man owned most of the available units in that small town. And I found one that I liked and they went by the office to sign the lease. Said to the woman who was helping me that I was moving from a small home and thus already had a refrigerator. And so they could take the one out of, that had come with the apartment. And she wrote out a, a work order then for someone to take care of that. But neither one of us noted its removal on the lease. By the time I had moved in, the refrigerator was gone. But that was really about the last positive experience that I had with my landlord. For in the months that followed, he wouldn't follow up on requests for some minor repairs, for trimming back bushes that were covering the windows in the front. And so after 11 months, when I came home from work and found a note slid under my door 
saying that my new rent was going up $45 a month to cover, in his words, increased maintenance costs, <laughs> I knew then that I was moving. And so I gave notice that day. I found another apartment in town owned by someone else and was very happy for the last years that I was in Shelby. But it was a couple months after I had moved that I received this letter from my former landlord saying that upon inspecting the apartment, they had noticed that the refrigerator was missing. They went ahead to say that if I didn't return the appliance with, in a set, have known that kind of experience in other circumstances. You can be in a very full school cafeteria and feel alone when you notice that some of your contemporaries are beginning to whisper and they're looking in your direction. You can feel isolated when you're sitting in your doctor's office and get back the test result that you prayed would not come. Or after a long day of driving, you arrive at your hotel late at night only to discover they didn't get your reservation and they're completely booked. There are all kinds of circumstances when we can have that feeling of being all alone. And it is that sensation which dominates the passage before us today. During this season of Lent, we are focusing on these phrases of Jesus that are colloquially spoken of as the last seven words of Jesus. All of them are of great significance and continue to speak to us as people of faith, and yet none of them cause the consternation equivalent to the ones before us today. We are, have seen that Luke and, and John have several different things that Jesus says from the cross, but Mark has only one statement, and it's the same one that is found in Matthew. As we're told that after hours on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may have noticed in our Old Testament reading that Jesus actually is quoting those words directly. And as that psalm proceeds, David speaks of such things as the hardship he has faced. I'm a worm and not human, he says, scorned by others and despised by the people. Jesus knew that same experience from the cross. As the Gospels tell us of how the soldiers and passerby, how religious leaders and even the thief on either side of Jesus all mocked him. And thus it's only fitting that Jesus offered the cry that he did. As we'll see, though, in this sermon series, Luke has a very different last word from Jesus. For according to that gospel writer, Jesus' parting words are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The fourth gospel, too, has a different word, as John simply has Jesus saying, it is finished. Both of those accounts have this sense of Jesus almost being in control to the very end, of a sense that he determined when the final moment would come, and yet Mark's account is very different. Why have you forsaken me? He cries out. 
it's the, it's the way that that party message is recorded. It has caused such struggle for scholars and everyday Christians. As some point out that this psalm that Jesus quotes from at the beginning, that actually ends with words of confidence when David concludes by saying, future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. And so those who are uncomfortable with Jesus calling out a sense of forsakenness point out that had he had the energy and strength, surely he would have come back to the end of that psalm too, or that even Jesus assumed that those who heard the words would know that part of scripture that he was recalling. Still others object to this cry from Jesus for basic theological reasons. For if, as we understand, Jesus knew what was going to happen, including the resurrection, why would he cry out a sense of being forsaken at the last? Or, even more basic than that, since we understand Jesus to be both fully human and fully divine, is it even possible for him to be forsaken by himself? I can't answer those questions. Because part of what I hear in that scene is the very real and honest lament of one who is nearing the end. One who perhaps hoped that God would rescue him at the very last, and when it did not happen, cried out those words of abandonment and isolation. A message from him in that moment, which I think has been echoed by many, many others in the centuries since. Times when they too felt all alone. A couple of years ago, a friend in DPC gave me a book by the novelist John Meacham, but it focuses on the last seven words of Jesus. And in the chapter that focuses on this phrase, he lifts up what that cry from the cross has continued to mean to believers. Sometimes, Meacham says, the things in front of us, including the cross, are the things we notice the least. We do not genuflect to images of an empty tomb. We genuflect, rather, to the representation of a place of suffering and of sweat, of blood and of death. Tragedy is ever before us, Meacham continues, and from the cross, Jesus asks the same question we ask in hours of darkness and despair. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God has thus known grief. He has experienced the pain of his people. He has wondered why. Then his Father's will was done, and from darkness came light, and death was conquered. This, Meacham says, is our story, our faith, our consolation. I appreciate the perspective that that writer brings to this whole question and believe that Mark himself shaped the narrative for us so that we might truly hear 
the sense of abandonment in Jesus' voice. For you may have noticed that the gospel writer begins by giving us words of Aramaic, first century everyday language for Jews. As Jesus begins by crying out, Eloi, Eloi, Lamai Sabachthani. And then he gives us the translation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This marks one of only four times in Mark's gospel. Hear Jesus speak in Aramaic. Two earlier ones occur at times of healing, when he brings back to life the daughter of a synagogue leader, and when he restores the hearing of a Gentile man. And the other two moments are when God, Jesus is speaking to God from the cross and hours earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that earlier prayer, I think, is instructive for us. For as Mark depicts those events, shortly before Jesus was to be arrested, he depicts Jesus in agony, throwing himself on the ground, and then asking if it is possible God would change the plan. And in that moment, the way Mark puts it, is that Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible. Now, we often will hear that word Abba and simply make it a synonym for father. And yet the reality is that it was more the name that a young child would call her or his father, namely daddy. Jesus did not invite us to use that name for God. In the Lord's Prayer, he said we're to pray our father, not our Abba. It is still a very intimate, personal way of reaching out to God, but still more formal. This makes me wonder if what was really happening in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus offered that prayer in a moment of great agony over what was ahead, that what he said was, Daddy, I mean, I mean Father, all things are possible. Voicing both the intimacy of their relationship and his distress over what was to come. Again, from the cross, he does not pray Abba, Abba, but rather Eloi, Eloi, which means my God. And Jesus clearly is still speaking of his Father as being his own God too, but is the only time in Mark's Gospel where Jesus refers to his Father by that term, God. I wonder if Mark made that editorial choice so that we would hear, especially just after that account from the Garden of Gethsemane, hear this agony in Jesus' voice and that it was a way of understanding the sense of abandonment Jesus felt. A moment that allows us to look back on it and to recognize similar times in our own journeys of faith, but also the ways we still turn toward our Maker. Madeline Lingle, a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Two-Part Invention, where she is talking about her marriage to an actor named Hugh Franklin. The book speaks of how they met and fell in love and recounts 
critical events along the way, and, and Lingo often uses the language of faith to describe that journey. At one point, she tells of a time when he is in the hospital and she is sitting by his bedside, and she recounts this phrase from Jesus that we are pondering here today. She describes that parting word as the cry of the word made flesh, the total mystery of human being. She goes on to recount the diagnosis that her husband received that ultimately would take his life. Speaking of what happened then as she moved through those blur of events. And then a week or so after his funeral, the phone continues to ring, she writes. Many of my beloved godchildren who live too far away to come to us, sobbing into the phone, one of them wails, but what happened to our prayers? Did they do any good? Were they all wasted? No, no, I reassure, never wasted. Of course they did good. Hugh never had intractable pain. His last weeks were a beautiful witness of sweetness and courage and humor. But they didn't work, the child continued. And she responded, of course they worked. Not in the way you wanted them to, but your grandfather died a good and holy death. It was from the cross on a Friday that we call good that we hear of a holy death. And even though I am convinced in that moment that Jesus truly felt abandoned, he was not alone. Neither are we, not ever. Which is why we can look upon that scene and hear his courageous and human cry as he neared his own death. And as we hear it again, experience both faithful and humble and grateful hearts. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the accounts that we have of your son's final hours, for its reminder to us of the way his death transformed all suffering, and for the certainty of your presence with him and with us in every moment. Help us as we continue through this journey of Lent to claim that gift once more and to know with absolute confidence that there is nothing that can break the bond of your love for us either. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.